It's Thursday, February 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me in studio. It's Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've got earnings. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We've got a couple of innovations in the fast casual industry, but we're going to start with the stock of the day, and that is Teladoc. Somewhere Jason Moser is smiling because shares of Teladoc are up about 20% after fourth quarter revenue came in higher than expected. Uh, the loss was smaller than expected, and it's hard uh, for all of the enthusiasm around the business of Teladoc. It's hard for me um, to look at this and not think at least a little bit of the rise that we're seeing today uh, with a telemedicine business is tied to coronavirus. Possibly. Uh, it's hard to ask the market what percent of the enthusiasm is uh, about the results just reported and, and what part is about uh, things to do with the headlines, although the guidance uh, is good. And uh, really, the, the company kind of avoided on the uh, call giving any, any specific numbers about how coronavirus might affect the business. But uh, in a world where more people are Staying indoors, staying at home, looking for medical advice and prescriptions and help, but not wanting to be out in public, not wanting to spend time in a hospital and a doctor's office, the Teladoc model becomes that much more attractive. I think that's smart of management not to really give specifics on that, because just as we want and expect the leaders of the companies that we own shares of, to talk about the downside of coronavirus and say, well, this is what we think the impact is going to be, and we're going to update guidance accordingly as we feel like we have material information. I don't think any of us, no matter how enthusiastic we are about any given business, I don't think any of us want management to come out and rub their hands in glee and say, holy cow, this coronavirus, this thing that could be a pandemic, God, the upside potential for us is amazing here. Yeah, they're not doing this, that. This came along at the right time. They're not doing that, and frankly, things are going so well anyway in terms of the growth, in terms of surpassing the expectations for the company, and in terms of growing not just organically, which they're coming in around 25, 26%, something like that. Uh, organic, but they've also got an acquisition uh, which will finalize in the second quarter in touch, which expands their network and makes the growth numbers even even higher. So, uh, and then you you throw in that X factor of uh, coronavirus. This being a company that actually might be making more money and attracting more customers, uh, which is not the case for just about everything else out there. Check your portfolio. <laughs> if you question me, just check your portfolio at this very moment, and you'll see the market is less than enthusiastic about everything. You know, I checked my portfolio on Tuesday, and I really haven't checked Bad it idea. again since. <laughs> Bad idea. Um, let's move on to Etsy. Uh, fourth quarter revenue was up 35%. Uh, profits came in higher than expected. Shares of Etsy up about 14% today. This is a really nice way for Etsy to round out the fiscal year. Yeah, it's interesting just how uh, you know many different uh, places the stock has visited during a time when, if you just look at the numbers over a long period of time, the growth has been 
reasonably consistent, uh, somewhere around 25, 30% uh, a year in, in most of the last several years. And uh, yet the stock, which came public at about 25 or, or did when it uh, 27, uh, got down to eight, then it got back up a couple of years later to seventy, then down to forty-one. Anyway, fifty-five today, still over the long term, pretty good. About double what it came public at five years ago, which is not spectacular, uh, but is a smoother story than looking at all the points in between. I think anybody who in 2019 bought shares at the IPO of Uber or Lyft uh, uh, would be thrilled if they could get a promise that. It would double over the next four years. But um, uh, back to Etsy, it was interesting to me. Um, Rachel Glazer, who's the CFO, talked a little bit about the investments that they've made. And you look at a company like Etsy, if you're looking at Etsy as a consumer, you're really just looking at it through the lens of stuff you may be interested in buying. But if you're looking at Etsy as an investor, then you want to look not just at what is the experience like for consumers, but it's also what is the experience like for sellers? Because if Etsy is going to succeed as a business, it needs to work for both those groups of people, and the investments that they've made appear to be paying off. Yeah, I mean, and there have been a couple of hiccups. Uh, some of the investments, uh, particularly the ad buys and the different structures about going uh, in different directions with that, advertising on the different platforms that they do and charging their uh, the people selling uh, a certain amount for that. The advertising fee, sellers pay twelve to fifteen percent for uh, you know the, the ads Etsy's buying, and anybody making I think over ten thousand in gross merchandise sales is paying up on that. So uh, they're advertising heavily in the places you'd expect: Google, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. Uh, and now some of these things may be uh, competitors. Uh, Sooner or later, uh, with with Etsy or or an acquirer, perhaps someday. Who knows? Uh, but it's it's one of those interesting, uh, you know, situations where the, today uh, they're getting along with people that they're paying money to, and tomorrow they might be, uh, right. you know, <laughs> in the crosshairs. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool com. Question from uh, John Pachola in Fishtown. A Philly, a Philly guy, just like you. Sure. Um, John asks: Is the casino industry just a bad business overall? If so, what are their main issues? Is it competition, regulatory, overhead? Looking at the companies in the space, they have lost to the overall market. But it seems like mobile sports gaming is only going to grow in the future. Would love your take on what opportunities, if any, are out there for the foolish investor. You've been to a casino once or twice in your life. Um, Hard to recall. It's been so long. <laughs> uh, what do you? Uh, well, to his first question, do you think it's a bad business overall? Uh, yeah, if I'm throwing a dart at uh, a selection of casino stocks and and betting on that versus the rest of the market, I think the lion's share of the evidence would be that uh, you're going to underperform uh, over a lot of periods of time. One of the reasons for that is the volatility of the stocks. So. Uh, Right now, things are largely down for a lot of the companies, especially the ones that have exposure to Macau, and that can be an opportunity. I mean, the the returns of something like Win Resorts, uh, 
one of the better known players, uh, are so volatile based on things outside of the control of the company, notwithstanding uh, something that was very much within the control of the company, that being its its CEO and the problems that he delivered to the company, uh, ultimately. Uh, but uh, Macau regulatory issues, uh, you know, the degree to which you can expand your business is dependent on winning licenses in places, and of course, a, a certain presumption on the part of investors that there are perhaps shady things that go on in some jurisdictions regarding the opportunities to participate in in those those businesses. Who's Who's to know? I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm saying other people are accusing <laughs> everybody in the industry of certain things. So, sports gaming, and in particular mobile sports gaming, it really does seem like it could be a good opportunity. Um, you and I and a couple of our colleagues were across the river at the MGM Resort earlier this week. and uh, We were researching this email, which you received today. Look, the degree to which we have control over time travel, we're not going to speculate on that. Um, uh, yeah, we were doing a little boots on the ground research at the MGM uh, Resort. And I'll just say parenthetically to anyone listening who owns shares of MGM, you're welcome. You're welcome for the money that I lost at the gaming tables. Um, but uh, one and, of the... And I apologize for <laughs> taking some of your money away. One of the things I learned was that uh, even though sports. Uh, gambling is not legal in Maryland. The MGM Resort in National Harbor in Maryland has a sports book ready to go. It's just got drywall covering it up. So, when they're building this thing, when they were even just designing this thing years ago, they were like, oh, yeah, let's absolutely have a sports book ready to go because at some point, Sports gambling is going to be legal, and we don't want to then be in the process of designing and building and renovating, and it's going to take us a year. No, when sports gambling is ready to go in the state of Maryland, we want to be able to rip down the drywall, plug in the TVs, and we'll be good to go in about 24 hours. Yeah, and that's that's a uh, a good opportunity to expand the business, and and you know I think every place probably where it's Legal uh, to have table games uh, is going to eventually allow sports uh, gambling. If they if they can't now, they're going to look at the numbers and determine that that's a pile of money that they want. Do you think that because mobile sports gaming pretty nascent right now, and until you get legalization across the board, um, I don't want to say it's a moot point, but it's it's certainly less of an opportunity. Do you think this is going to be one of those situations that we've seen play out in other industries where larger established players, whether it's MGM, Las Vegas Sands, whoever, they don't need to innovate necessarily when it comes to mobile sports gambling because they can't. They've got the brand name recognition and they can swoop in at some point and finance a deal to buy a smaller player. Yeah, I think that the marrying the you know the known brands and the things that have been around for decades and that are known to uh, the older clientele with the deeper pockets uh, buying one of the kids you know that, that are less well known to people over the age of I don't know something older than us. Right. Those are the people who are. <laughs> 
who were accusing of not being hip. Uh, yes, it's it's a good marriage of uh, the, the known brand, the trust uh, that you're going to be able to drop a lot of money with this thing and and get it back if you win. So uh, I, I don't think we're going to see a, a lot of them developing their own uh, mobile capabilities. Uh, one of the things John mentioned in his email was he just started listening uh, to Market Foolery about a year and a half ago. He's relatively new to investing. And if, like John, you too are new to investing, or you know someone who's new to investing, we've, we want to help. We've got a free investing starter kit. It's a 15-page report. It covers everything from saving money to 401ks to buying your first stock, and it includes five stocks that were selected by our investing team, and it's free. And you can find it by going to fool.com slash starter kit. That's fool.com slash starter kit. The link will be in the description of this show. And just give us your email address. We'll send you the report. It's that easy. Can I just back up uh, to a couple stories ago? To my losing money at the casino? No, but go ahead. No, no, no. By all means, keep going. <laughs> uh, something I asked you before the show, which was a term that I came across in looking at Etsy's results, was their results for uh, Cyber Five. Yes, and you said, "Hey, have you heard which of which?" Sounds like a supervillain or a band. Yeah, like a, like a 21st century boy band. But apparently, it's a it's a term that we should know. Okay. And um, do you know what it refers to? No, you know I don't know what it refers to, and that's because right before the show you said, "Hey, have you ever heard of Cyber Five? How I long said, no. does it take to Google something? <laughs> what is Cyber Five? Uh, it is the five days starting with Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday. Well, this is when you should be doing all of your cybering. Wait a minute. The Grand Council decided that Cyber Monday is no longer a thing, and now we're going. And Black Friday is no longer a thing, and we're just going with Cyber Five. The Grand Council didn't need your permission. To determine this, and uh, so it's it's uh, Thanksgiving, which still gets to call itself Thanksgiving rather than Cyber Turkey or, or whatever. Black Friday, a classic, and then there's Cyber Saturday, Cyber Sunday, and Cyber Monday. They don't need my permission. I just uh, give me a heads up, Grand Council. That's all I'm asking. I look. It's not for us to question the wisdom of the Grand Council. That's, that's true. That's so. From now on, for the rest of your life, when you hear about Cyber Five, which you'll start noticing now, uh, that's uh, that's a thing. It's not not enough. Like if you're waiting until Cyber Monday, everything might be gone through cyberspace. Hop you better up. you better move quickly. Earlier. Well, then apparently some people did and spent some money on Etsy, and they that, did, yeah. that helped drive this quarter. They had a good holiday season, and uh, you know they're, they're looking forward to next Cyber Five. I bet they are. Uh, Panera Bread was once a public company. It is now part of JAB Holding, which is a private company that owns. It's a private company that appears to be run by people who are even more addicted to coffee than we are, because uh, within JAB Holding, you've got Panera, you've got Pete's Coffee, uh, Krispy Kreme, uh, Caribou Coffee, Insomnia Cookies, which are fabulous, by the way, uh, Keurig Dr. Pepper. Um, anyway, Panera announced that they are launching a monthly coffee subscription. So, for $9 a month, if you're a member of the My Panera group, which is just like it's that, that's their app, that's their rewards program. Uh, $9 a month, unlimited coffee and tea at Panera. And I'm not saying this is a game changer for everyone, 
But this is quite possibly a game changer for you and me and everyone who works at this in this building because we've got a Panera right across the street. Yeah, I think Panera is uh, misunderestimating our ability to go across the street and drink all of their coffee daily for only nine dollars a month. I mean, it's not a fair fight. I, I understand for those that have to make a special trip to Panera, Panera might be making a little money off of this, but they're they're if this is real. This is a money loser regarding us and perhaps a few others in the audience for Panera. Now, clearly, the bet. That Although here we are giving them a lot of free advertising, so you know it's not. I mean, they've tricked us again. Dozens of. They've seduced us with nine dollar a month coffee to promote their business plan. So well done, Panera. This will be interesting to see for a couple of different reasons. Uh, all kidding aside, I think the, clearly the bet here is that people like you and me who drink coffee and don't necessarily go to Panera all that much for breakfast. The bet is, these two schmoes, they're going to pay the $9 a month. We're going to lose money on the coffee, because they'll be in here at least twice a day, 20 days a month. But they're going to buy some food, because we make delicious food. Unlike Starbucks, we make delicious food here at Panera. And these guys are going to buy more breakfast than they would have otherwise. So that's one reason to watch this. Another reason is to what extent, if any, do other coffee companies start to roll out some sort of similar program? I think you and I are in agreement that Starbucks may look at this and say, at least right off the bat, we're not doing that. Our entire business is coffee. Panera is, their business is. Really, more of a lunch thing. Like, yes, they do breakfast, but it's it's lunch and dinner. It's soup. It's sandwiches. That you know, the warm grain bowls, that sort of thing. So we're not doing this. But it'll it will be interesting to see if Duncan or, for that matter, another JAB holding company, Krispy Kreme, rolls something like this out. Yeah, if it's if it is successful at Panera under whatever. Metric they are going to be measuring this by, uh, then it would be easy enough to expand through the, the JAB lineup where there is a, a similar synergies between the other things for sale. Like Caribou, I don't, I don't think you know, there's all that much um, beyond the coffee. Is there? Uh, not really. And and uh, you know diff- differing amounts uh crispy cream could make sense some something like that i don't know how much coffee they're delivering there well and the the last thing i think would be interesting to watch is there we saw reports at the end of 2019 that jb holding was thinking about spinning off Pete's coffee uh spinning it off in an ipo and panera bread i mean i would love to see their numbers right now relative to what their numbers were like before they went private, because it wouldn't surprise me at all. And I'm not saying this is going to be the thing. This is going to be the the domino that that sets it in motion. But it's going to be interesting to see if whether they spin out Pete's or if uh, the success of Panera is such that they say, you know what, this is a this is a better business now than when it was last a public company, and we're going to spin this off. Yeah, be interesting to see. I think that Panera uh, has just been consistently improving its operations uh, for many of the last years. I mean, it is uh, an experience that a lot of us use uh, to get to order online, then pick something up because we are so close, and and they are uh, pretty reliable 
on uh, delivering uh, what you ordered, uh, you know, within the time that it's promised. And it's, so it's very convenient for those of us that have, uh, you know, walking access to Panera. And uh, I think it's one of the major introductions in the food services that I've read about today. Right. And the second is another one that I think will be interesting to see how it succeeds and the extent to which another business, and I'm thinking primarily of McDonald's and Burger King, uh, they decide to go with their own version of this. And that is, Dunkin' is rolling out a new food item called Snack and Bacon. And it's pretty much what you would think it is. It's eight Half strips of bacon wrapped up in a sleeve. It's just bacon. Yes, they made some headlines last year when they came out with the their Beyond Meat breakfast sandwich, which could stand some improvement. Just my two cents. But eight strips of bacon or half strips of bacon? Yes, please. Yeah. If you like bacon, we're selling bacon. <laughs> right. <laughs> as simple as that. We're not selling bacon infused soup or bacon as part of a larger sandwich. We're selling that. But you know what else we have? We just have the straight up bacon and it's in a bag. And if you give us money, we'll give you this. Yeah. As as they put it in their release, uh, with its classic flavors featured in everything from toothpaste to vodka, bacon is a phenomenon. But at Dunkin', we believe the best way to enjoy bacon is simple: eat it. <laughs> I mean, that's. I think they've they've highlighted they've they've delivered a lot there. First of all, they've reminded you that there is bacon flavored toothpaste, right, and vodka. And of those two, I say the vodka. I hope whoever wrote this press release at Dunkin' Brands gets a bonus because they could have chosen any number of things for that sentence, and they chose. This person chose the correct two. Chose the correct two. Toothpaste and vodka. <laughs> um, and everything in between. Right. All the things that are between toothpaste and vodka, which when you get down to it, really is the beginning and the end of the day. Yeah. If you're a vodka drinker. Start the day off with some vodka. Um, we're gonna brush those teeth before you go to bed. You actually had a good suggestion this morning. Really? Yeah, I was as stunned as anyone. Um, uh, we're gonna throw a Twitter poll up on this to see, like, which, like, which is the better innovation here? Is it the monthly coffee subscription, or is it the bag of bacon? And and people will vote however they want to vote, and we encourage people to vote if they're on the Twitters. But I I think it's going to be time will tell which is the better innovation because the answer will be which one gets imitated. And and I would I would just request, don't vote with logic, vote with passion. Yes. Please come to this poll with a passionate feeling about bacon and or coffee. And 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 if you have a passion toward both, this may be a tough call. Yeah, we're not this isn't going to be one of those. Oh, you get three choices. You can vote for the coffee or the bacon or the both. No, we're not doing that. You for instance. I haven't decided yet. So there's a Duncan that is uh also so we're at a corner. There is coffee at the other three corners of right. our office building. Uh, and one of those corners is Duncan, and one of those corners is Panera. And, and, then, and the third is Einstein, and a block and a half away is Starbucks. And in all seriousness, the Panera Bread announcement, that is going to put a dent, for me anyway, that is going to put a tiny dent in the coffee sales at both Starbucks and Dunkin'. Because uh, Panera... Dunkin's fighting back with his bacon. Well, so 
Good. Well done. <laughs> well played. Um, Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by the amazing Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on Monday. Thank you.